Paramahamsa, Parivrajakacharya, Asatara Satashi Shimada Sivan Grace, Asi Bhakti Vinata Swami Maharaj Prabhupada Ki Jai, Iskan Founder Acharya Shila Prabhupada Ki Jai, Nantakoti Vaishnava Rindaki Jai, Namacharya Shila Haridas Takura Ki Jai, Prem Shigal Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Dwayta Gadadhar Shri Vasadi Gaur Bhakta Rindaki Jai, Shri Shri Radha Krishna Gogopina Shai Mukunda Radha Kunda Giri Govardhana Ki Jai, 
Vrindavan Dhamaki Jai, Matura Dhamaki Jai, Navadrip Mayapur Dhamaki Jai, Jagannath Puri Dhamaki Jai, Gangamaya Jamuna Devi Ki Jai, Bhakti Devi Ki Jai, Tulsi Maharani Ki Jai, Samaveta Bhakti Vrinda Ki Jai, Gaur Premanande. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Garanga. All glories to Srila Prabhupada. Nama Om Vishnu Badaya Krishna Prasaya Bhutale Shimati Bhakti Vinanta Swami Nityamani Namaste Sarasvati Deve Gauravani Pacharane Nivasesa Sanyavani Paskajade Satara Vandeham Shri Guru Shri Uta Padakamalam Shri Guru and Vaishnavamsha Shri Rupam Sagrajatam Sahagana Raghunatham Bitam Samsajivam Sadvaitam Sadvadutam Parijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lavita Shri Vishakam Bitamsha So it's April 18th, 2019, in Dallas, Texas. We're reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 12, Chapter 8, Mark and Dea's Prayers to Narayan Rishi, Text 7 through 11. I think probably just 7 is on the board. One that starts with Prapta. Prapta Dvijati Samskaro. Markandeya Pitu Kramat. Chandam Syaditya Dharmena. Tapaswajaya Samyuta. So this is actually several verses. I'm going to read through the word for word. Um, I should also mention that we have three books here that are available. And if you want to, if you need to leave early and you'd like to get a book, you can see Rasa Raj Prabhu. And he can help you out with that. So if you want a book, if you want to leave before the end of class and you want a book, we have a book on chanting Hare Krishna, How to Chant Without Offense. We have a Krishna conscious novel, so how to go from material life to Krishna prema in the form of a, a fiction. And then we have uh, Raghunath Goswami's Splendid Instructions to the Mind. This is step-by-step guide as to how to attain Krishna prema with Bhaktivinoda's commentaries, commentaries of our, our present devotees, uh, fully illustrated. So we have all those over there. And the... Uh, the novel makes a very good gift book. It's written in language for the public, although it goes all the way to Prema, so it's not it's not beginning topics, but it's written in general language. You could give it to non devotee friends and family. So I'm gonna go through the word for word. Prapta having received Dwi Jati of second birth, Samskadaha, the purificatory rituals. Markandeya, Markandeya, 
Pituhu, from his father, Kramat, by proper sequence, Chandamsi, the Vedic hymns, Aditya, studying, Dharmena, along with regular principles, Tapaha, in austerities, Swadhyā, and study, Samyuttaha, full, Brihadvrata, the great vow of lifelong celibacy. We might just mention that it's interesting, the literal translation is just the big vow, but it's usually understood as being uh, an idiom that applies to, to the vow of celibacy. Dadaha, maintaining, Shantaha, peaceful, Jatila, with matted hair, Valkala Ambara, wearing bark as his clothing, Bibrat, carrying, Kamandalum, a water pot, Dandam, a mendicant staff, Upavitam, the sacred thread, Sa Mekalam, along with the ritual belt of a brahmachari, Krishna Ajinam, the skin of a black deer, Sa Aksha Sutram, and prayer beads made of lotus seeds, Kushan, Kushigras, Cha, also, Niyama Ridhaye, to facilitate his spiritual progress. Agni, in the form of fire. Arka, the sun. Guru, the spiritual master. Vipra, the brahmanas. Atmashu, and the supersoul. Archayan, worshipping. Sandayaho, at the beginning and the end of the day. Harim, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Siam, in the evening. Prataha, in the early morning. Saha, he, Gurave, unto his spiritual master. Baikshyam, are alms obtained by begging. Arutya, bringing. Vakyataha, with controlled speech, Bubuje, he partook, Guru Anugnataha, invited by his spiritual master, Sakrit, once, Na, not invited, U, indeed, Chet, if, Upositha, fasting, Evam, in this way, tapaha swadhyaya para, dedicated to austerities and studies of the Vedic literature, varshanam, years, ayuta ayutam, ten thousand times ten thousand, arajyan, worshipping, rishika isham, the Supreme Master of the Senses, Lord Vishnu. Jigye, he conquered. Mrityum, death. 
Sudurjayam, impossible to conquer. Translation, after being purified by his father's performance of the prescribed rituals leading to Markandeya's Brahminical initiation, Markandeya studied the Vedic hymns and strictly observed the regulative principles. He became advanced in austerity and Vedic knowledge and remained a lifelong celibate, appearing most peaceful with his matted hair and his clothing made of bark. He furthered his spiritual progress by carrying the mendicant's water pot, staff, sacred thread, brahmachari belt, black deerskin, lotus seed prayer beads, and bundles of kushagras. At the sacred junctures of the day, he regularly worshipped the Supreme Personality of Godhead in five forms. The sacrificial fire, the sun, his spiritual master, the brahmanas, and the supersoul within his heart. Morning and evening, he would go out begging, and upon returning, he would present all the food he had collected to his spiritual master. Only when his spiritual master invited him would he silently take his one meal of the day. Otherwise, he would fast. Thus devoted to austerity and Vedic study, Markandeya Rishi worshipped the spiritual master of the senses, the personality of Godhead, for countless millions of years. And in this way, he conquered unconquerable death. I don't know why they translated it countless millions of years when there's a specific number given in the verse. Okay. So here we have the process of spiritual realization. And we might ask, why is there a process at all? Each of us is a pure soul. Krishna Prema is already existent in our heart. Rupa Goswami says it doesn't come from any other source. And Srila Prabhupada is very clear in the Nectar Devotion that in one sense there is no sadhana, there is no practice exactly to awaken this because it's already there. You can't really achieve Krishna Prema from anywhere in one sense. You already have it. We already have it eternally, without beginning. We are without beginning and our situation of love for Krishna and being Krishna's servant also has no beginning. Jivara Swarupaya Krishnera Nichidasa. This is our eternal situation. Mamai Vamso Jivaloke Jivabhuta Sanatana. So why do we need a process? Now you could say that there are persons who awaken their Krishna consciousness within a moment. Yes? And in fact, Srila Prabhupada makes this point many, many times, that if we surrender to Krishna fully, then Krishna immediately reveals to us our original position. And we have persons for whom that has happened, where their desire for attaining Krishna is to the point that immediately they attain Krishna. And there's many, many times when Srila Prabhupada will use this word immediately or right away, right? And that all you need to do is surrender to Krishna. I suppose you could say that is also a kind of process. But it happens instantly. So it's not much of a process. Something that happens instantly. That's already there. So why do we need a process? So we need a process because for the vast majority of us, we don't have the faith to surrender to Krishna immediately. 
we don't have the conviction. Intellectually, we don't have the conviction. And more importantly, emotionally, and on the level of desire, we don't have the conviction that if I just surrender to Krishna, all of my desires will be fulfilled. Therefore, we need a process to gradually awaken those desires. And Krishna very nicely explains this point in the 12th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, where he says, always tells to Arjuna in the 8th verse, always think of me with love. And then he says, if you can't do that, then do abhyas yoga. Abhyas means repeating, which is very similar to the concept of sadhana. If we think about practice, a practice is something you do over and over and over and over until you are good at it. Like here, Mark and Dayarishi, every sunrise he does this, every sunset he does this, every day he does this, over and over. Like those of us who can ride a bicycle, we practice riding a bicycle over and over again until we can just get on a bicycle and ride it without thinking about it, or driving a car, or, or so many of the things that we do, brushing our teeth. Right When we were a little child, our parents had to teach us how to brush our teeth and get us into a habit. And then after a while, we just know in the morning I brush my teeth, in the evening I brush my teeth, and so forth. So that's some sort of a practice. Or if you want to become good at something, you want to become good at playing the violin, you have to practice and practice and practice. Yes? So Krishna is saying, if you don't automatically love me, then you have to practice loving me. Which is an interesting concept in and of itself. And he says, by doing this practice, you'll develop a desire. He uses the word icha. Because Rupa Goswami says, what is the only price? Rupa Goswami says, greed, loyam, a great desire, basically an unquenchable desire, this huge desire. I want it, 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 and I want more of it and more of it and more of it. And basically, I don't want anything else. I only want this. I only want this. We see this sort of attitude in this world when people fall in love. We use the word fall in love also, which is an interesting word. In Russian, the term is they lose their head. Right? And a person, you become fixated on one person. You know, I just, I, I only want this person. I don't want anything else. Right? And there was a, a popular song when I was a teenager, My World is Empty Without You, Babe. Right? And that's what Lord Chaitanya is saying. When I'm not with you, the world is empty. There's nothing else. Nothing else is there. So that kind of desire, only Krishna, like Kunti says, like the Ganges flowing to the sea, let my desire be only for you. So this practice develops that desire. And there's another reason that we need a practice, and this is a little bit uh, harder uh, to talk about, and that is that we are conditioned souls because ultimately we are offenders. Bahir Mukhe, we've turned our face from Krishna. The person for, of whom we are a part, who provides everything for us, Eko Bhagunam Yovedadati Kaman, who fulfills all of our desires, who is Akila Rasamrita Murti, he is the reservoir of all pleasures. We've said, no, thank you, I think I'm going to do it myself. And that was very disrespectful. Actually, we can't do it ourselves. Everything is Krishna's energy, everything is Krishna. Right, there's that joke between the theist and the atheist. 
that the theist challenges the atheist. Okay, make your own world. Make make your make life yourself. And so the the atheist, you know, takes some materials and he says, No, no, you have to produce your own materials, you have to produce your own dirt, you have to produce your own air, you have to produce your own water. You can't start with anything. So Krishna's provided everything. In one sense, he is everything that we are using to enjoy, but we don't acknowledge it. We're not grateful to him. And even if we're grateful to him, it's like, oh, thanks a lot. Let me take this and use it for my own purposes. So that's that's offensive. Like I'm staying in someone's house, and if I were to just say, oh, there's nice things here, let me take them and use them myself, right? I would just go into your house and I say, oh, this is a nice table. I think I'll just take it. Uh, when I was when we were there last night, Gopigita came with me and she had left her phone and her car keys right, right outside your door, right? And when you came in, you joked and you said, oh, someone's given me their, their phone and their car keys. So we kind of, we're like that. We come to this world and we're like, oh, wow, somebody's given me a world. Great. Yeah, but that's offensive. If Rasaraj had actually taken the, the car keys and the phone, oh, someone left it outside my door, it must be for me. That would be offensive. It would be, frankly, it would be criminal. Yes? Correct? Right? So we're, we're offensive, we're offenders, we're criminals. And therefore, we cannot just go to Krishna and say, hi, I'm back. Yeah? Uh, we have to, we have to show as Prabhupada talks about, that we have to pass the test of the spiritual master. So we have to show Krishna that we're actually trustworthy. Most of us think about, hey, can I trust God? Is he reliable? Is he there? But really, Krishna's looking at us and going, hey, can I trust you? Right? And even after we say, Krishna, yes, I surrender. I'm yours. But not right now. In five minutes, I'll be yours. Or, okay, I'm yours while I chant my 16 rounds and then put my bead bag down, do whatever I want. Prabhupada used to say that. And I finish my rounds and I can do whatever I want. So therefore, we also need a process because part of the process is that we accept a guru, that we accept the association of sadhus. And it's by the grace of guru and by the grace of sadhus that Krishna accepts us. Just like with any of us. We've all had someone offend us, yes, in our life? Everybody? Is there anyone who's never had anyone offend you or insult you or betray you? Anybody? So if it's in a very bad betrayal, we may not even want to talk to the person, correct? Like now with social media, you can block somebody. You can block a number on your phone. You can block, isn't it? So how will they even contact us? If they actually feel sorry, how, how will they contact us to say that we're there, that they're sorry? We've blocked them. They'd have to go through another friend, isn't it? They'd have to get some other friend of ours to say, oh, this person is actually sorry. Please talk to them. So actually, we're the ones who block Krishna. It's not exactly that he's blocked us. But we need to go through one of his associates to speak on our behalf, especially if we're not that steady. Especially if, you know, we're, yes, Krishna, I love you, and Maya, too. 
So then we really need someone to speak for us and say, even though this person is unsteady and even though this person is struggling, actually they're sincere, please help them. And the person we go through engages us in a process to prove our sincerity. So there's at least two reasons why we need a process. One reason we need a process is for ourselves to develop faith in Krishna. To develop faith that if I actually surrender to the Lord, I'll be happy. And it's generally a very gradual thing that we we surrender a little bit more and a little bit more. And maybe we pull back a little bit and we surrender a little more and a little bit more. And we gradually develop a strong enough desire that we're willing to let go of all the things that are hurting us. And the other reason we go through a process is so Krishna can trust us. We follow the instructions of one of his great devotees, and we prove ourselves over time. Just like, again, if if somebody had, had offended me and stolen from me, I would want them to show me over a period of time that they had actually changed, yes? I wouldn't just accept them in the first two minutes, especially if it had been a long-standing situation, no matter how much I wanted to restore the relationship. So what is this process? Now, a lot of what different religions argue about or different branches of religions argue about are the details of the process. Did anyone notice what uh, his what Mark and Dea's chanting beads were made out of? Lotus seeds. That's very interesting. When I was recently in Mayapur, there's some devotees that have a, a business with uh, Tulsi beads, and they also had they had this very unusual looking japa mala. I said, "What is this?" They said, "Oh, that's lotus seeds." I had never before seen lotus, a lotus seed japa mala. I was kind of intrigued, right? And we know that some people use a rudraksha japa mala. And Krishna has a japa mala too. What's Krishna's japa mala made out of? He might have one made out of gunja, I don't know, but jewels, yes. There's one made out of jewels. And what does he chant on his jewel japa mala? The names of the cows, yes. When Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was chanting the names of the gopis, his students gave him a hard time. So I don't suggest that you chant, go around chanting the cows. Other people may criticize you. But, uh, yes, he chants the names of his cows on his jewel japamala. So here we see that Mark and Rishi, he's not using tulsi, he's using lotus seeds. So there may be this kind of detail. You know, and we can get hung up on these sort of details. Oh, you're in Maya, Mark and Rishi, for not using tulsi, you're using lotus seeds instead. Or he's wearing a black deerskin. Now, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu didn't like his followers wearing deerskin. They specifically, specifically said he didn't want his followers wearing deerskin. But deerskin's mentioned in the Bhagavatam more than once as an appropriate dress for a renunciate. Here we find he has matted hair. Matted hair is also mentioned in the Bhagavatam. In fact, uh, the Vanaprastha lady is supposed to mat her hair. And when I first read that, when I was, I don't know, 20, 21, I remember going to our GBC, Rupanuga, and dreadlocks wasn't a thing then. This was 75. It was 20. Okay. So it wasn't a thing then at all. And I went to him and I said, 
am I going to have to have matted hair one day? And he says, no, 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 don't worry about it. I mean, when my husband and I actually entered into the Vanuprastha ashram, I was thinking, I, th- I was seriously thinking about it. Bhagavatam says I should have matted hair. Maybe I should have dreadlocks. And, uh, you know, I looked into it and I saw that taking care of dreadlocks was more trouble. You know, some Vanuprastha ladies, like Narayani, she cuts her hair short. So I thought, okay, what do I want to do? Do I want to wash and comb my hair? Do I want to cut my hair? Or do I want to put it in dreadlocks? I decided it was all trouble. You know, and I thought, okay, what would Prabhupada be more pleased with? Somebody who's preaching Krishna consciousness all over the world. But Bhagavatam says dreadlock. But we don't find that Srila Prabhupada asked our brahmacharis and sannyasis to have dreadlocks. Yeah. So there are these details. And he's always walking around with bunches of kusha grass. I don't even know where we would buy that in Dallas. It'd be a little hard. I don't know if it grows. And can you imagine if we walked around all day carrying a bunch of kusha grass? That would be a little odd. Even collecting alms. You know, the, the disciple goes out and collects alms. There were two ways that schools were maintained. Well, three ways. In, the, in olden times, even in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's time, just a few hundred years ago, one way was government tax money. Just like today, the public schools are funded by government tax money. The government would give tax money to the brahmanas. Then another way was the students would go around collecting alms in the village, and they'd bring it back to their teacher. So we do that a little bit nowadays. The students may do a bake sale. You know, or sometimes the students in a the school, they go around selling something door-to-door to to raise money for their school. Isn't it? And the other way is that the students themselves would give some doctrine to the teacher, which now he sort of institutionalizes. You know, you have a set tuition payment that you give. But I remember Prabhupada talking about here in Dallas for our school that it might not be considered legal for the children to go around door-to-door every day begging. If you're selling things for your school, that's okay. But every day begging... So the details may be different, is my point. Even in the Bhagavatam, even in our own tradition, the details from one yuga to the next, they may be different. And to become obsessed with these ritual, with details of ritual, you miss the whole point. You kind of lose the, the thread of what is the process. Because the process, it, it isn't exactly a mechanical process. And it's, there's sort of a, a dichotomy here. That in one sense, there are certain items and certain ways of living that will put you into the mode of goodness. Which is what we're coming to in the, as these verses go on. The verse that I originally thought I was going to speak on today was about Developing the mode of goodness. So there are certain behaviors and certain items even that are in different modes. Yeah? And even certain forms of an item. So like if you freshly juice fruits that are locally, organically grown, tree ripened, that's in the mode of goodness. If you take those same fruits and you ferment them and they become alcoholic, it becomes in the mode of ignorance. 
So drinking fresh squeezed, organically grown, tree-ripened fruit juice acts as a rasayana, according to Ayurveda, and helps your whole body and mind to be in the mode of goodness. And that same fruit juice, if you ferment it, then it puts your body and mind in the mode of ignorance. So there are certain things in this world, certain ways of eating, certain ways of living. Dare we say, in 2019, certain ways of dressing. Here we find he's dressing in a particular way that put you in different modes of nature, that incline you in different ways. That That's true. So in, you could say that's sort of mechanical. I mean, the uh, Asanga Yoga process does involve some mechanics. If you breathe in a certain way, you sit in a certain way. You know, one of the things, for example, if, if you have some physical pain, it's quite interesting. If you injured or you have any kind of physical pain, whether it's acute or chronic, one thing the body tends to do is it tends to tense against the pain. That's a good protective instinct. Many years ago, I was in a car accident in, in Moscow, and uh, I was having so much all-body pain afterwards, I went to see an osteopath, and she said, what happens is when there's a sudden jolt to the body like that, the muscles around the spine become like steel to protect the spine from being broken. She said, but sometimes they get stuck there. They don't relax afterwards, and then they cause all kinds of pain. So any kind of, of damage in the body, the body tends to push against it. Like we, we tend to be adverse to anything difficult. We push against it. Yeah? But that resistance, that pushing, itself actually exacerbates the pain. It's quite interesting. And fear about the pain. Oh my goodness, what's wrong? Something's happened. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. That fear actually lights up the same parts of the brain as the pain itself. Or catastrophizing. You know, you get some little pain and you go online and you oh my God, now I have cancer, now I have, you know, typhoid, now I have this and I have some rare this thing and that thing and I'm going to die tomorrow. And that response, catastrophizing fear, resistance, aversion, actually increases the pain itself. And so one thing a person can do to decrease pain is just very slow breathing. If you breathe in to a count of six and you hold it and you breathe out to a count of six, just doing that signals to the body, oh, there's nothing to be afraid of. You know, if there's a, like this morning I took a Joppa walk and when I walked that way it was quiet. When I walked back, two dogs started barking at me. And I was walking right by the house. And the dogs came right up to the fence. And I just jumped in fear. I practically fell off the sidewalk. Right? So that kind of, where your heart beats faster and you breathe faster, is very useful if some dogs are chasing you and you need adrenaline to run away. Right? But if you want to calm down your body, you breathe slowly and then you tell your body, There's nothing to be afraid of. And all that tension in the body just kind of melts away and then the pain decreases. My point is there's mechanical processes. You can do mechanical processes in the body to get rid of pain. 
to get rid of fear. Just by breathing in a certain way, just by sitting in a certain way. You don't even have to be a theist. You can be a materialistic atheist, and you can, as Prabhupada says in Teachings of Lord Kapila, and you can learn how to mechanically put your mind and breath in such a way that you can go through a surgical operation, Prabhupada says, and not feel any pain. So to some extent, there is something mechanical. There are certain places, there are certain tirtas, like here we create a tirta. You just come in the place and you have a different consciousness. When we were selling our uh, building in North Carolina that we'd used as a gurukula, we'd remove, we hadn't used it as a school for months and everything was out of the building. It was just an empty shell. And I, I remember coming in the afternoon. At that time, I was working in a public school as an assistant principal. So I was wearing a business suit. I wasn't obviously a Hare Krishna devotee. So I came onto the property in the afternoon and there were a couple of young men there. And I said, what are you doing here? They said, well, we came to see the house. One of them said, in the morning I came with a realtor, but I wanted to show my friend. We were hoping it might be open. I said, okay, I could open it for you and show you around. And the, the man who'd been in the morning said, what was that place used for? He said, as soon as I walked in the building, I felt this other kind of energy. And I immediately felt full of, of happiness and full of peace. And I thought, you know, all the chanting of verses there, you know, every day chanting the Shastra in that house, worshiping the Lord and so forth, the walls, the floor, the ceiling were changed. So in one sense you could say that there's something mechanical. Krishna has arranged the world and arranged his energies that if you use them in a prescribed way, then you will be able to access sattva and even transcendence. That's a fact. However, that's not the whole story. Because what we're trying to do is develop our love for Krishna. Therefore, Prabhupada often repeats that jnana yoga, jnana yoga, and karma yoga need at least some addition of bhakti in order to be efficacious. I mean, if somebody offended me, maybe if they, you know, mow my grass and wash my sidewalks, and clean my car, that might help. But if they don't develop a proper attitude toward me, that won't be enough, isn't it? They also have to develop an attitude of love and repentance, love and trust. So without some bhakti, nothing mechanical is going to be effective. Maybe mechanically you can enter into the Brahma Jyoti, but Avasudabuddhiya, one will again fall down to the material world. So, therefore, although we are given a specific process, chant on Tulsi beads, worship the deity like this, say these prayers, don't bow down with only one hand. You know, we, although we are given things that, that are to some extent a mechanics, and although we have particular details that Srila Prabhupada has given us. Chant 16 minutes. Chant the Gayatri's mantras three times a day. Take bath. Change your clothes. Get up early in the morning. The most important thing is that we develop a connection of love with the Lord. That's the most important thing. 
And here we see that Mark and Deirishi is doing, you know, he's, okay, I'm going to go out bathing. I'm going to have a water pot, a staff, a sacred thread, a brahmachari belt, black deer skin, lotus bead, prayer seeds, bundles of kusha grass. I'm going to chant my mantras at the sanjas, certain times of the day. I'm going to worship the guru. I'm going to worship the fire. I'm going to worship the brahmanas. But the most important thing that he was doing was he was developing his love for the Lord. Without that, one can go on doing the mechanical things for a very, very long time and never get to the root of why we're not accessing our eternal love of God. So, of course, at this time in Kali Yuga, the rituals that we've been given are fairly minimal, and we should frankly keep them that way. We have some people in ISKCON who want to go back to the rituals of another yuga. There, there's one place that I visit sometimes in the world, one devotee place, and whenever I go there, I feel like, oh, I'm in, I'm in another yuga. And many people have said that. But it just occurred to me that, well, do we really want to do that? Are the processes from other yugas actually appropriate for us? You know, we know we shouldn't be wearing black deerskin and matted hair. Rather, we should, we should be happy <laughs> that in this Kali Yuga where we're very short-lived and not very qualified, that the number of, of rules and regulations, as Prabhupada would call them, by which he meant the positive and the negative injunctions, are not that great. In number. We, we really don't need to follow a thousand different rules or ten thousand different rules. I was brought up in Judaism. They had 613 rules. No, it's not necessary. Prabhupada gave us a, a fairly simple system. And the main thing that he asked us to do was to always think of Krishna with love and devotion. And the, the purpose of the things that we do is to help us be in the mode of goodness, to help us be removed from the dirt of Kali Yuga, so that we have a good atmosphere to develop love of God. Not that the mechanical things in and of themselves are going to give us love of God, if that makes sense to everybody. They provide a, a good platform. Hmm? So the purpose of our sadhana, again, is to develop our own faith. Because as soon as we have enough faith to fully surrender, immediately we revive our original position with Krishna and to show to Krishna that we're sincere. So he will want to reveal himself to us. He says, yes, maya is very difficult. We've all experienced this, yes? Maya is not a joke. But he says, I can remove it immediately. It's not like Krishna can't remove our maya just immediately. I was just reading this in the fourth canto. Prabhupada says, sometimes by the grace of the Lord, all of our attachments are seen at once and removed at once. But he wants to see that we're sincere. He doesn't want to let us back into the house if we're just going to steal things. So that should be our focus in what we're doing in our sadhana. Let me do my sadhana in a way. Let me do my service in a way. Everything we're doing should be done in a way that my faith is increasing, my trust is increasing, my surrender is increasing. If it's not, then what are we doing it for? 
If my faith, my trust, my surrender, my humility, my love, my desire isn't increasing, there's something fundamentally wrong with how I'm doing my sadhana. And I should be doing my sadhana in such a way that I become more trustworthy, (laughs) that my good qualities manifest more and more, that I gradually, gradually become more steady in the activities of my body. Not that we should expect we're going to be steady from day one, that's it. People ask that, you know, the one week into Krishna consciousness. How can I be totally steady all the time? Well, you probably can't right now. You know, it's like you've only been playing the violin for a week and you don't want to make that ee sound. But my sadhana should be bringing me to the point where I'm more trustworthy. Where my attraction for uh, flirting with maya is decreasing, decreasing, decreasing. That I'm just like, oh, I'm not so interested anymore. And Prabhupada says we should, can judge ourselves, just like you eat a meal, you can tell. Am I, am I satisfied? Okay. And if we're doing that, that is the point of sadhana bhakti. So the details of Markandeya Rishi's sadhana bhakti is somewhat different in, in some of the details, but the essence and the principle is the same. So we have just a few minutes for questions, comments, additions, subtractions, and chastisements. Yes. Yes, the mode of goodness is a platform for coming. To, I'm repeating it for the people who couldn't hear you. Yes. No. You're asking if the mode of goodness is an absolute necessity. The answer is no. Can you think of some people who came directly to bhakti yoga without first cultivating the mode of goodness? People mentioned in the scriptures. Not people you know in Dallas, Iskand, but people mentioned. I don't want to embarrass anybody. Somebody say, me, me, me. But uh, in the scriptures... Oh, Vitrasura. Well, that was that's a really interesting story because if you go to past lives, he was in the mode of goodness. But at least in that life, if you just looked at that life in isolation, then you could say, yeah, he went from the mode of ignorance to bhakti. But not quite if you look at the past lives. Jagai and Madai, they went directly from the mode of ignorance to bhakti. They didn't, they didn't first cultivate sattva. Valmiki, yes, excellent. Uh, Magrari, yes. Um, the prostitute, they never mentioned her name, who tried to uh, disgrace Haridas Thakur. Now, we're not suggesting, by the way, at all, that before you can start bhakti, you have to be in Sattvagun. We're not saying that at all. And if I gave that impression, that was erroneous. That's karma misra bhakti. And not only karma misra bhakti, it's actually covering your bhakti with karma. That's that you say, well, you can't do bhakti until you're first in the mode of goodness. So we're not saying that. We're saying that as part of bhakti, we're engaging in practices that help us cultivate the mode of goodness. Like our four regulated principles, those aren't spiritual. There's nothing spiritual. Like, and here, you know, he's a brahmachari. That's not spiritual. Whether you're a brahmachari or not a brahmachari, you can still attain Krishna consciousness. It's, and it's not in and of itself spiritual. There are many people who are celibate for all kinds of reasons that have nothing to do with anything spiritual. So that's that's not that's not the point. Hmm? As practicing devotees, should we try to focus on that area at all? 
Um, as long as we're in the modes of nature, then the mode most favorable for us is the mode of goodness. The mode of goodness acts as a platform. What does the mode of goodness mean? The mode of goodness means that the form of false ego you have is closest, of all the forms of false ego, it's the closest to real ego. And only in the mode of goodness can you experience any real happiness, even materially. Ultimately, we should do things because they please Krishna, not because they're in the mode of goodness. I mean, that's ultimately. We should follow the four regulated principles to please Prabhupada and Krishna, not because they're going to get us out of the modes of passion and ignorance. But we do have, we should have a lifestyle that at least externally resembles the mode of goodness as much as we can. And much better to have false ego in the mode of goodness than in the modes of... I mean, better to have false ego in the mode of passion than the mode of ignorance, too. False ego in the mode of passion is far superior to false ego in the mode of, good, in the mode of ignorance. There's no comparison at all. False ego in the mode of passion, that's where you want to be a good, righteous person. That's what most religions teach. Most religions teach Rajagun. You know, get married, take care of your family, have an honest job, pay your taxes, give in charity... contribute to museums and concerts and universities. Human civilization is essentially in Rajagun. Art, culture, philosophy, morality, ethic, that's all Rajagun. That's far, far superior to just, you know, have boyfriends and girlfriends and take intoxication and sit around doing nothing, keep all your money for yourself. But mode of goodness is far superior to the mode of passion. The mode of goodness is you look for your happiness within. You try to become equipoised, and you know, mode of passion. You may be charitable, so you can get your, a plaque put up in the somewhere, get your name in a book. Mode of, mode of goodness, you're charitable, so you can feel, oh yes, I'm a good person. You know, the mode of goodness, it's, it's, it's still selfish. It's still self-centered. I'm forgiving. I'm so forgiving. I'm so good. I'm so charitable. I'm so kind. You get this warm fuzzy in your heart, you know? You do. Yes? Now, in one sense, that's the best platform for Krishna consciousness. In another sense... People, my experience is that trying to give Krishna consciousness to people in mode of goodness can be difficult because they think they're already spiritual. They're like, yes, we like Krishna. Sure, we like Krishna. We like Krishna. We like Buddha. We like Jesus. We like everybody. We're happy. We'll come to the temple. We'll take prasadam. Will you actually commit to a process? Oh, no, I'm already equal poised. I have my crystals on my shelf, my little angel figurine in my car. I'm already so spiritual. So sometimes, you know, the mode of goodness, Krishna says, conditions you to a sense of happiness. 
There's a lot of passion. You can see I'm running around trying to satisfy my gross senses, and it's not working very well. So, some, Or in the mode of ignorance, you're like, oh, man, life sucks. So, you know, sometimes people in the mode of ignorance and the mode of passion are more interested in a spiritual solution. But it's a lot easier for someone who's in the mode of goodness to take up the processes of bhakti. They're not that different from what they're already doing. We should cultivate just trying to please Krishna. If you can't do that, then at least cultivate the mode of goodness. Yes. Um, just a mechanical question. You mentioned that we're told not to do um, bowing down with one hand or something like that. Yeah. What yeah, does that mean? I have no idea. Okay. I mean, I can guess. My guess is that when you offer obeisances on the floor, you do it with either zero hands or two hands. Like if I've got my bead bag, I go with zero hands. Although Prabhupada would let his bead bag touch the floor. You, you can see photographs of Prabhupada doing full dandavats, and he's got his bead bag like on the side, and his bead bag is touching the floor. But that, that's how I understand it. When you're offering what we call obeisances, don't do it just one-handed. And I have no idea why. Sometimes when we, from the Indian tradition, when we enter a holy place, we, um, we like touch a door or touch the floor and then do like that. Is that maybe what that means? Again, I just don't know. Okay. It, it's, I know that Rupa Goswami says that one shouldn't offer obeisances with just one hand. I know that he says that. Now I know sometimes what I'll do if I, if I've got like my hand in my beads, and I can't even do namaskar, I'll just do this to somebody. But maybe we shouldn't do that. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's what Rupa Goswami is talking about. I mean, if you want to get into full-on Hinduism, you're going to get really overwhelmed with this stuff. Sorry if I've offended anybody who grew up a Hindu. But, you know, you'll really get, you'll really get overwhelmed with it. You know, like I, like I have a nice devotee friend, who grew up in a Smarta Brahmana family, and she said, you know, if you sit on your bed during the day, you have to bathe and change your clothes, but if you put something wool on your bed first, then you don't. So, you know. That's why I was making the point. Prabhupada didn't give us all this. We have some people who are really in ISKCON who really go into it and like, okay, let's find out all of the detailed rules. Good luck with spreading Krishna consciousness all over the world like that. And I don't think it'll work. You know, if you say to people, well, if you want to become Krishna conscious, here's our 500-page book. You know, in, in Orthodox Judaism, it's something like that, too. They have a specific prayer for it. They not only have 613 rules, they have a specific prayer for everything. You know, so you, you pass urine, you say a prayer, thank you that I can pass urine. I mean, you, now, you have to remember all those prayers. So we're given a general thing. You know, Krishna is in the light of the sun, the light of luminous objects, he's in the air. We can become conscious of Krishna like that, but do we need to learn all the detailed Sanskrit prayers and rituals and you touch this like this and you do this like this and you say this particular Sanskrit word like that and you walk over here and you put this cloth on in this way and you tie this thing in this way? And you put... 
I remember one, uh, we was giving a class in Croatia, I think in Rijeka. It was either Rijeka or Split. And this one young man came and he said, you know, you, when I first came, I heard there's no hard and fast rules. But as I, the more I come, the more rules I'm being told. Now you have to do this. And, and I felt really bad. You know, it's not the International Society for Rules. So we should, we should be careful. That although there is some, things do have their, their own power. It's a fact. At the same time, it's, we're, this process is not about learning the mechanics of the world and how to manipulate them so that I can attain to enlightenment. That's not what bhakti is about. And even the processes, particularly astanga yoga, where that is what it's about, ultimately without bhakti, astanga yoga is not going to be successful. Even in previous ages. You're not going to be fully successful without bhakti. And Krishna is advising, yogi nam api sarvesham The best yogi is one who's absorbed in their mind and needs. So we can use some. Srila Prabhupada's given us some things to do that will be very helpful to us. Try to... My own suggestion is... Unless you really, I mean, if you really want to get into it, then go for it. But don't force everybody else to, kind of thing, you know. If, if, that's what, if that's what enlivens you, is to learn, you know, okay, I'm going to learn all the 500 pages of mantras and rituals. And all. That's okay. Does that answer your question, I hope? Um, yeah, it sounds like it was about what you were saying earlier also, that just whatever you're doing, the whole point of it is to remember Krishna. Yes. So if it helps you remember Krishna, great. If it doesn't, you know, yes. well, focus we on our, remembering Krishna. We have our basic things that Prabhupada gave all of us. You know, if you say, well, chanting my 16 rounds doesn't help me remember Krishna, so I won't do it, then you're going to have a problem because you're going to lose mercy of Srila Prabhupada. So, you know, we, we need, as I said, one of the reasons that we're doing sadhana is not just so I can gain faith in Krishna, but also so Krishna can gain faith in me. So the things that Prabhupada gave us, we shouldn't get rid of. I think I need to end here. I will be giving class again tomorrow, Krishna willing. So thank you very much. And if you're interested in any of our three books, so um, Rasha Raj Prabhu can help you with that. And we have the three books we have is one about how to chant Hare Krishna to, in such a way that you'll get free from offense. And we have a novel, a fictional book, How to Attain to Krishna Prema, but in the form of a fictional novel. And then we've published Raghunath Swami's book, The Splendid Instructions to the Mind, with Bhakti Vinod's commentary and the commentary of contemporary ISKCON scholars uh, that's fully illustrated, that takes gives you the step-by-step process how to attain to Krishna Prema. And actually, there's a lot in here that was really I was really reminded of in today's verse. So thank you very much. Shila Prabhupada Kijai.